Welcome to the first episode in an old series of Your Time in the Run, the hunted podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and I am joined, as always, by my fellow Brit, who we treat as a bit of a wrongan, Anthony Williams. Hello! I'm back! Woohoo! You are, after like 13 and a bit months. I know. That's a long time to be stored away in my cryogenics chamber. <laughs> the last time Ant was on the podcast, genuinely, the UK had not gone into lockdown yet. What? Lockdown? What is this? I think that episode released the day before lockdown was announced. I think it was two days before my birthday last year. Wow. That, have you found that the last year is both simultaneously the quickest and longest year of your life? Yeah. It's like really weird. It's like five minutes ago and forever ago. Yeah. We, we actually met up with Michelle like 15 months ago nearly now. Wow. As of the time of recording. Crazy. That is crazy. And the lady who, even when she's away from her family for 28 days, would never call home as she doesn't care how her children are doing. Michelle Pistet. <laughs> Correct. Open goal, and I just punt it straight in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was sort of the focus at the end of the episode. Yes, it was. It was something that I'm assuming you're going to just go, stupid. Stupid. At. Yes. Just getting yes. the bingo card out now, just Michelle going, stupid. <laughs> But yeah, if there's one thing we know about Emily and Lauren at the start of this series, it's definitely that Emily misses her son. <laughs> really? You don't say. Oh dear. I was thinking earlier as well, he'll be like eight now. <laughs> if you think, we are releasing these six years to the day of the mayoring. So this is technically a companion podcast just six years too late. <laughs> and it's so weird going back to 2015 when this was actually filmed and going... This is not the show we remember. This is a show that kind of brought Ant into our lives, but it was marketed completely differently to the rest of the series. There was no prize fund. It was a documentary. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? I, I think it's interesting where you're saying it's not the show we thought it was, but actually on a rewatch, it's not as different as I thought. I had in my head that it there, there was loads and loads of documentary stuff and it was all about surveillance state and all this, but actually there's a couple of minutes at the beginning, there's a little bit of confessional from Ricky, but the rest of it, pretty much the game we know, isn't it? It is. There's definitely the kind of seeds of the game that we know and love and that we've covered for the remaining four series of this. But I actually went back to the press pack and everything for this series because it was announced in November 2014 and then didn't air until the September the year after. But it was commissioned as a documentary, as kind of a one-off series to go, let's look at the surveillance state, because I think there was a lot of surveillance state laws going through around the time, if I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah, it was when they were pushing through the, uh, what was it called? It was some, something Telecommunications Act and all of that kind of stuff, wasn't it, to, to give them much more freedom to open surveillance up. Yeah, so it's kind of commissioned as a documentary about that and then ballooned into the kind of weird hybrid juggernaut that we know and love now still just as much fun oh yeah still still as much fun do you remember the marketing for it because the marketing was really weird they didn't tell as much at all until sort of a week beforehand no as as i recall i don't think i watched it when it went out, I think I watched it like the following summer or something like that. It was before season two aired, but it was a while after season one, I think. Because the trailer is still on YouTube. I watched it again yesterday. And 
it has nothing actually to do with the show in it. It's more about the surveillance stuff. It has none of the hunters in. It has none of the footage from the series. It has none of the contestants. It's actors basically saying, how far would you go to escape the state? Interesting. Yeah, it, it's really weird. And I think of at least last time I went into Manchester, which is a while ago now, let's be honest, I think there was still actually an old phone box with an ad for Hunted on it with the yellow and black colour scheme. Because they completely changed it between series. They changed the narrator, they changed the title card, they changed a lot of the hunters, let's be honest. A lot of these hunters I don't recognise. Some of them I do. A lot of them I don't. There was a massive change when it changed to be basically a reality series from a documentary. Something very interesting to keep an eye on, I think. Because the other big change that we are aware of from doing US Hunted is the fact that they had everyone leave from their homes as well. Which I remembered, because I remember moaning about in the US ones, because I much prefer it when they're all on an equal footing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Ooh, that's interesting. And 14 Fugitives as well. Yes. Yes. As soon as it changes to the prize money, it goes down to 10 and then 9 in one case, I think it was. I know. They said 14 and I went, what? What? I can't remember 14. It's kind of 12 and a bit though, isn't it really, to be honest? <laughs> Let's be honest, one of the teams does not last very long. (laughs) One of the teams gets one segment, and that is it. But, yeah, it's it's stuff like that. And the fact that we really don't meet everyone until, I think the last teams get introduced in about episode four. Mm. I I definitely remember that from the first time around, that it it was much more focused on a smaller bunch of people uh, all the way through. And I kind of like that, but it obviously doesn't work with the game because it would just confuse the hell out of people, wouldn't it? If you didn't see someone till really late on, you'd be like, hang on, these are on like day 15. Why are they only just started? It would just be too confusing. I was wondering when I wrote my notes whether they'd all started on the same day. And I think they did, but I'm not 100%. Hmm. No, I don't know. There's no need for them to have, is there? And unless you don't want the the hunters to be going for, you know, six weeks. <laughs> yeah, there is that, I guess. And it would be slightly unfair, I guess, if, if they only had like one pair to go after for a couple of days before they release the others. Mm. Yeah, they probably they probably do all go broadly at the same time. Yeah, I think they were all released on the same day, obviously not at the same time, but I think they were released at the same day at least. Because I I couldn't find anything to say it for certain. But they do all have the same extraction point and stuff, so they kind of have to all have left on the same day to do the 28 days. Yeah, that's true. So, of course, given what we know now, Sherlock is the only hunter to speak in the entire intro, because I was keeping a note of it. We love Sherlock on this podcast. Very proud of the fact that it is still on his Wikipedia page that it is his name. It has made the Radio Times. I should not be drawing attention to this because it will get removed. But because of (laughs) us calling him Sherlock repeatedly, some horrible little person who definitely should not have done it and definitely shouldn't keep doing it because it's hilarious did put it on the wikipedia page it then got picked up by the radio times it greatly amused me when this was pointed out to us last year (laughs) where was it in the radio times it was in an article about um about hunted i think it was the normal person series last year they did profile some of the hunters and they said that that Ben's nickname was Sherlock and someone sent me the link and just went, oh my God, we've made this. <laughs> I can't remember whether we drew attention to this at the time. I think we did, but it's just wonderful. 
<laughs> we probably did, but just thinking about it is really making me laugh again. <laughs> I did have to check the Wikipedia page earlier to make sure that it is still on there. It is 100% still on there. Awesome. It's so funny. I think it might have been Doug, actually. I think Doug was the one who drew my attention to the fact that it had made the Radio <laughs> Times, because I knew it was on Wikipedia. That definitely got sent to me. But I think it was... Uh, I think it was friend of the podcast, Doug, who we're definitely not going to keep mentioning whenever he appears on the screen in this episode. 100% we are. I think it was Doug who, who DM'd me on Twitter and just went, you do know you're in the Radio Times, right? I'm like, what? Jeez. <laughs> so yeah, if you're ever confused about who Sherlock is, Sherlock is Ben Owen. He's one of our favourite hunters. He did DM me. I am a little bit scared of him. We are still meant to be meeting them, hopefully, when uh, when all is well again in the world. I will be holding them to that. And hopefully when they're doing a new series. Well, yeah, that's the plan, I think. Mm. I mean, touch wood, we might, I might have to remove this from the podcast when I edit it, but before it gets released in September. But yeah, as far as I'm aware, that is the plan. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was an invite, right? Yeah, Michelle will be zooming in from, uh, from Sydney just going, Hi, guys! <laughs> God. Just at arm's length, she's not allowed to come and meet the hunters with us. Oh, dear. That's so sad. It's so sad. Don't worry, we'll just time it for when you're uh, when you're teaching a class, so you won't have to care anymore. Thanks. Thanks. Um, the chief? What the hell? I'd forgotten there was a different chief. <laughs> yeah, Brett is a one and done. He's one of the many changes between series one and two. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because even in episode one, he's the chief, but it's all about Sherlock and Blacks, right? They don't make any secret of the fact that he's not really meant to be the guy. It's meant to be Sherlock, and it's meant to be Blex. It, he's not bad, but I think he doesn't have the screen presence that the others two have. No. Do, do you think that emerged in post? Like, they're starting to edit it, and they're going, actually, you know what? These guys are a little bit more. Maybe we should just cut more of their stuff in and leave Brett out a little bit. Well, the thing is, if you've ever heard Blacks be interviewed, as I have quite a lot, because he's doing a lot of interviews at the moment, because he's still searching for Kevin Paul as the uh, as of the time of recording, and I actually have a signed book from him above me now, as of uh, a few weeks ago. Mm. Blacks jumps off the screen as soon as you see him being interviewed, and he jumps out of the speaker as soon as you hear him being interviewed. If you look at these people independently, there is not a chance that you you don't make Blacks the focus of these episodes and the mouthpiece of the hunters because he really is yeah but they must have they must have spoken and you know set things up before they started filming so it just seems strange that they didn't go straight for him as the chief yeah because i always remember brett as being a little bit awkward i'll be honest he's better than i remembered him being at least in the premiere yeah but he's just not blacks and he's not sherlock and he's not a lot of the hunters that have stood the test of time and the headquarters, they're so small. What is that? <laughs> yeah. It's a tiny room. I have a little bit of a suspicion that after series one, the budget increased pretty significantly. I think so. <laughs> because they seem to be in some sort of lock-up in Crawley or somewhere in this series. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think they're in Kevin O'Leary's basement. <laughs> It definitely seems like it's done on the cheap, even though the narrator does say that that it's a high tech environment. It's like, yeah, it's not. It's a few whiteboards in in a shipping container somewhere, somewhere by the <laughs> River Thames. 
It's so small and there, there's no views of what what do you call it over there, the bullet or whatever it looks like. Uh, the gherkin. The gherkin. There's no shots of the gherkin. There's no sweeping views of London. It's just this tiny <laughs> room that's bland. It's so weird. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with their quote-unquote HQ in this series because <laughs> they've not put much money into it, bless them. It definitely shows that they weren't intending on this being a more than one series project and then it kind of took off. Yep, I think that's fair to say. So each person has £450 in a bank account, which is far, far more than they have nowadays. What is that about? I think the last civilian series was 90 quid for 25 days. How did you know it was 450 Because I just kept writing down numbers trying to figure it out. Yeah, they do say. They say quite near the beginning. The narrator does actually say each person has £450 in a bank account. Because the common complaint that we have nowadays with Hunted is the fact that, not necessarily us, but everyone bitching on social media, is, oh, this is such a rigged show. And it's really telling that in this episode, they do go into the rules quite a bit. Maybe not the meeting up with family and stuff, but they really establish the rules. The fact that they all have less than an hour to get away before the Hunters come for them. The fact they have 450 quid in a bank account. The fact that they have to go to an ATM, which is one of the hidden rules. They can't leave the UK. This is all stated right at the start of the episode. And it's something that they don't do anymore, even though those rules are are still very much in place. Maybe not the 450 quid, but the rest of it is still very much in place. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because you'd think they'd talk more about the rules when it's definitely a game. Yeah, when there's actual money at stake rather than just personal pride. So the chief, as we said, is Brett Lovegrove, the former head of counterterrorism for the City of London Police. And he is of the opinion that police should have the powers it does to monitor people. Yet again, going back into the, this is a reason it's a documentary stuff. And we also see one of the hunters listening to two simultaneous recordings on Audacity at one point during Brett's intro. <laughs> they should not be putting these on screen without me spotting them. <laughs> there was a few interesting things on screen. <laughs> There was a lot of Outlook emails. That that dates it a lot. There was a lot of Outlook. There was a, there was a mention of Hotmail, which I haven't heard in five years. Hotmail. I have definitely got things to say about that when we get there. I tell you what, I, 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 know, I know it carries on, but um, th- that theme tune still gives me goosebumps every time. It's so good. I just love that piece of music. It's subtly different from the... Um, from the one that we get in newer series. And it is actually the version we use as the intro for this podcast, thanks to composer Nick Harvey. Yeah, the the, the intro of season one is pretty much our theme, isn't it? Well, it is. We've mixed it with Nick's permission. Let's be honest. We do have Nick's permission, but it is our intro music. Hang on, you actually contacted him? Yeah, I I, I contacted him on Twitter and said, was it okay if we used his theme tune? Because I did not want to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is Nick Harvey pre the whole goalposts and giraffes thing. So it was, you know, pre the whole his dad becoming a Twitter superstar, all yeah. that sort of stuff. It's like it's like a viral superstar these days. Back in those days, he was just the composer of Hunted, as far as we were concerned. Right. Did you guys recognise the narrator? Because the narrator is different for series one than series two. No, I didn't recognise it, but I did notice it was different. Yeah, it's actor Eddie Marsden. Who yes. I believe Who's is he the voiceover for the heist? Uh, I think he might be. I can't find anything for definite on that, mainly because I've not got an TV anymore, so I can't just look at the uh, the listings for the heist anymore. 
and there's nothing on IMDb, but I've got a feeling that he is the voiceover for the heist. I think he could be right. He's, he's an amazing actor. He's brilliant. So our first fugitive is probably, spoilers for now, the star of the series, Dr. Ricky Allen, who is Yay! a GP from Kent. He's just so good. Do you think that this series takes off as much as it does without Dr. Ricky Allen? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. He He's definitely the biggest character in this series. Yeah, that's an easy thing to say because he is also the closest thing to stunt casting in this series. They, mm. uh, they do touch upon it a little bit later in the episode, but Ricky made a bit of a name for himself in the press for being a bit outspoken about the NHS issues. Yeah. He's very much an outspoken guy, as I think uh, they do end up saying at one point. And there are quite a few news articles about actions that Ricky has taken, including quitting as a locum GP in relation to monetary issues. And mm. he has less than an hour's notice that he's going on the run, and his son does try and give him a gun to take with him. <laughs> Not sure he'd be allowed to do that. Got a feeling that might be banned by Kevin O'Leary. He has three children under the age of 14 and believes that the power of the state will threaten the way that they live. And he's doing the show because it frightens him and he wants to prove that he can beat the hunters. Um, why didn't he have any sort of bag prepared? I think they're not allowed. If, okay, even if you're not allowed, I would have randomly grouped things around the house that all you have to do is put into the bag. It'd all be in one drawer, wouldn't it? it yeah. You'd be ready to go. Like all of them, all of them. I'm like, what are you doing? Seriously. I seem to remember for Series 5, because obviously they didn't start with any bags or anything apart from the clothes on their back. I think they weren't allowed to prepare stuff beforehand. Yeah, but you w they wouldn't know. They wouldn't know that when you're running around crazy, oh, that these four things happen to be together in this drawer and I'm just going to put them in the bag. I've got a feeling there was probably an unaired rule about that. I think they may have been able to skirt the line on it, but I think it would have been fairly obvious had he just gone to the garage and picked up a rucksack and run. Understandably, but there's a way around it, and none of them did it. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? I mean, to be fair, this was the first series, so we don't actually know what kind of notice they would have got. You know, was it a kind of, we might do this show, so, you know, book the time off, we'll pay you for your time, it might not get picked up. It could, could have been left really vague, couldn't it? So it could have been a genuine surprise when it happened. Yeah, because this is the only series where they get less than an hour's notice. You're going on the run, have fun. Yeah. Except if she's got a two-year-old, you've got to you've got to have it something organised to look someone to look after your two-year-old. So you've got to have something organised there for Emily. You can't just go. You just usually find a local pet and chuck it down the oubliette, don't you? <sighs> yeah, that's it. That'll keep them going for four weeks. Yeah, just <laughs> turn the hose pipe on and leave them. They're fine. Chuck a can of uh, can of Fosters and a pack of cigarettes down there. They'll be right. Jar of Vegemite. They'll be fine for a month. <laughs> I do love how we've got to the point now where we just don't even reference why Michelle hates the children. We just assume she does. Oh my god, stop it. So, as we said, Blex is a deputy. He was an undercover detective for the Mets and has a very impressive CV. We get our first sighting of friend of the podcast, Doug. He talks about how Ricky is quite publicly outspoken and quit his practice over funding. I was, I've got to say that I'm quite impressed that Steve and Doug managed to do this series while clearly at the same time doing, doing their GCSEs. I think that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> well done. <laughs> they look about 10. 
<laughs> I think it's intern Simon looks even younger. Yes. And we joke about him looking young anyway. He looks so young in this series. There's a reason he's nicknamed intern Simon. And that's because he looks like he's on work experience. <laughs> but so did Doug and Steve in this one. <laughs> well, we've not even. I know in episode two, they do describe Doug as ethical hacker, Doug Edersell. certainly do. <laughs> which is my favourite description we've ever had of Doug. <laughs> it does basically come across that Doug was just sat in his room hacking people. And then they just kind of recruited him and went, Do you want to do this for, for 50 quid? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, sure, fine, whatever. I always thought it was like, he'll hack you, but he carries a hemp shopping bag. He's a very ethical hacker. <laughs> yeah, he carries <laughs> a bag for life. Yeah, he has, he has fair trade coffee. Out of a reusable cup. Absolutely. So, Ricky leaves my motorcycle, and that means that his cameraman has to ride behind him while filming. Which is <laughs> impressive skill already. <laughs> it's pretty cool, isn't it? It's a good start, that is. It's the most we see of the cameramen, maybe in the entire five series, is this moment with Ricky where there is a GoPro or something strapped to the handlebars and we do fully see the cameraman. Yeah, there's there's no attempt whatsoever to disguise the fact that they're filming people, but that's because it's, it's documentary, right? Yeah, the tone changes after this series. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's odd because... It doesn't matter in any of the other seasons, but but people get really upset about, oh, there's a cameraman, of course they're going to catch them. What? Yeah, there's a cameraman, and so? It's like in the first series, they're like, yes, we're filming people, hello. <laughs> it's just very different. <laughs> well, this series has sort of been a bit of a, a white whale for us, because obviously we started with series two, and kind of came onto our radar during series one. I think you did watch it live. I don't think I, I, don't think I did. You definitely tweeted with us about it, because Mm. I was tweeting live about it at the time, as I did a lot of the time in 2015, because I had now better to do. I've got a feeling you replied to them. Yeah, possible. Because that's how we kind of became friends. But this has always been our white whale, and I think it it was pretty much in January I said to you guys, do you want to do this? Because we've got no hunted series this year anyway. We might as well do this. It'll complete our set like we did with Belgium Mall last year. And now here we are. Hey. Yeah. So our second pair of fugitives are Emily and Lauren, another pair to keep an eye on. Very interesting story-wise. We've never had anyone like them since. They are friends from London. They are meeting in the place where Emily had a massive argument with Richard. And did you notice that her hair colour changes so much during this series? Yes, constantly. (laughs) She's blonde in, in, in the footage. She's brunette in the confessionals. Like, all over the place. Really? And then she has a black wig with her. Yeah, a short black wig. Well, I, I noticed yeah, the wig. That's when she's Timothy. <laughs> but I, I'd never noticed this when I watched it originally, is the fact that she is very blonde in the episode, and then very brunette when she's doing her confessionals. Yeah. Oh, what, what's going on there then? Well, they can only have been filmed before or after. I don't think she dyes her hair during the series. No, I I don't remember her doing that during the series, so... Someone does, and I don't think it's her. Mm. I know someone definitely does, because this is the only series where someone actually does do it, apart from Kirk and Jess. Yeah, it is odd. I, I can't remember whether they filmed them before or after. I think it's before. Yeah, I've got a feeling they do all those sort of confessionals before, and then just weave it in like like she's talking at the time. Yeah, I think I think they do, yeah. 
Can I just uh, talk about her packing skills? It's actually, it takes longer to shove things in a pack than to actually quickly fold it. Spoken like a true mum. Jesus. There's so much to say about Emily. So much. (laughs) I've got a feeling this series is just going to be fun for Michelle really hating on Emily. (laughs) Spoilers for now, when we get to the scene of Lauren looking like a sad clown, that's probably going to be our banner that week because it does make me laugh every time I see it. Every time. I even even put it in the notes. I've got written down that clown shot. (laughs) Because I think they show it in every episode. They do show it in every episode, and it's utterly irrelevant to the actual episode it's in. I know! It, it's really anticlimactic when you get there, but it's just such... Her expression and everything, it's just really bizarre. And it's, it always reminds me of that Simpsons meme where Homer goes into the hedge. It's just, <laughs> it's just such a weird, weird scene. I love it. So Lauren says that nothing's impossible when Emily's around. They're both quite headstrong people. Emily's here for an adventure, like when they were kids, and they are like Thelma and Louise. Emily uses an ATM in Cobham to get her money out, and Plex gets the alert. Two of the Hunter teams are dispatched, seemingly, from a car park near Bristol. Because there is a road sign that's very visible, leading to Bristol Zoo. <laughs> they also find out that Ricky has two cars and no less than five motorbikes. Plex requests an ANPR on all of them, and they get a hit from one of the motorbikes on the M2, thanks to Simon the intern. The team closest to Ricky is headed up by Captain David Blakely, who we've never heard of before or since. I know. Like, when he was introduced, I was like, who? I don't remember this guy. (laughs) Where did he go to? Well, the best thing is, I have done a bit of digging on him. He was the youngest captain in the British Army ever at 21, and served in Northern Ireland, Kosovo, Sierra Leone, Afghanistan, and Iraq, where he was injured. And he's hunted down war criminals, and now he's after a GP from Kent. Wow. That's sad that he didn't get into the subsequent series. Yeah, why didn't they bring him back? I genuinely don't remember him, because also they treat the ground hunter teams a little bit differently. They, in every other series, have them in pairs and then just running around like Nick and Danny are here. But his team seems to be him in one car, Paul and Jill, and maybe a couple of other people just kind of sent all together in a big group. Mm. Because there's about five of them in Ricky's house, I think. Yeah, it's like they've not quite sussed out how the ground crews are going to work. And they're in BMWs as well. They are. I did notice that towards the end. It's very weird seeing them in BMWs when we're used to the Audi wheel spin that accompanies every episode since. <laughs> so it's Volvo. It's Volvo, uh, Volvo. It? yeah. The Volvo <gasps> wheel spin. I know. I'm having to fact check you, Michael. <laughs> What's gone wrong in the last year? <laughs> it's the perils of me doing two episodes today. I'm, I'm half hunted, half vidim right now. Sorry. <laughs> well, if it, if it was a Dutch car, I'd forgive you, but it's not. <laughs> so Blex knows the area well. He was born and raised in Bexley Heath. Ricky is driving straight towards the hunter car, and then Brett promises the entire team a happy ending, which I'm sure may be the reason why he's no longer the chief of the hunters. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, if on day one or two you are promising your team a happy ending. Maybe you're not cut out for management. (laughs) At least buy them dinner first. And Ricky does end up turning off the motorway before the hunters catch him. And David's team, including Paul and Jill, go to Ricky's home and scour his entire life. But he is in Canterbury at a friend's garage trying to borrow a car. And weirdly, he seems to have changed clothes by this point and has a coat and fleece on. And he gets a Peugeot and drives north. It's like the worst car in the world. (laughs) 
Peugeots. Oh my god. What type of Peugeot is it? Because I couldn't remember which one it is. Wasn't it like a station wagon? Yeah, it's a really crap one. What the hell? It's like a 407, something like that. It's something like that, yeah. It's a really kind of old, rough car. And you need something little, not something huge. <laughs> just looks silly. I think it was a P-Reg as well, which is 1996. No, it's, it's a Y-Reg, so it's ninety nine. Yeah. Fact check twice. You fact checking me again, yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to fact check you now and say that Y-Reg was actually 2001. Oh, okay. <laughs> fact check, bitch. <laughs> oh, God. So Emily and Lauren are also heading north. Emily's worried about Gareth's car being tracked. In the first two days, they hitchhike north, changing their plans and cars frequently. And surprisingly, when they're walking through the field, there is some pretty good accent work. Usually these are cringe. The Scottish and Welsh accents were both actually decent. They're not bad at all. But I was I was absolutely gutted that there's a cutaway scene with Sherlock talking about how you've got to stay random and going, oh, I thought I thought we made that up. I thought it was us that had first said, you can't have a pattern, you've got to be completely random. And I'm like, no, it was Sherlock in series one. <laughs> I think we should just discount everything in series one and just assume that we said it. It's much easier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just going to do our truth. And we said that. <laughs> And there's nothing Sherlock can say, <laughs> even on these episodes from 2015, that can take that away from us. <laughs> oh, Sherlock and your time-travelling statements. <laughs> I'm just telling our truth here. That's all it is. Yeah, that's it. So Sherlock does say that no individual is truly random, but that is the easiest way to evade them. And they have hitchhiked to Penrith, 250 miles in three days. The hunters, mainly thanks to Dr. Steve Hersey, assistant to the chief, realise that Emily has an 18-month-old called Ernest, which Blex thinks will be her major vulnerability. It's weird seeing Blex be so serious. I'm going to say that now, because Blex, as soon as he takes over as chief, which he does from the next series, Blex really brings in the more game element of the series by, let's be honest, messing with people. Within a few Mm. years of this, he's going to be kidnapping people's dogs, He's going to be telling a bedtime story. He's going to be doing all of those sorts of things. I think he did trick Rob's mum as well. I don't know for certain, but I think he did trick Rob's mum, and we never saw it on the screen. There's so much that Blex does just to mess with people that it's really weird kind of seeing him be Peter Blexley documentary mode. Yeah. Well, if it's weird seeing him all serious, I thought it was weird to see Steve so happy. What was going on there? <laughs> I mean, it's a bit later in the episode. Steve's a usually fairly happy guy, I have to say. I defend Dr. Steve Hersey, assistant to the chief, a lot. <laughs> Mainly on Twitter, because people are a bit horrible about him normally. I like Steve Hersey. He's a very nice guy. And he does smile more than you remember. Yeah, he was smiling a lot. <laughs> he he's seems really it. happy. Yeah. Mind you, he's probably not been doing his doctorate by that point. He wasn't Dr. Steve Hersey at that point, was he? Hmm. He wasn't stressed. He hadn't gone for his position as assistant to the chief yet. (laughs) So while Lauren is shopping for them, Emily decides to ring home on a stranger's mobile phone, which is definitely going to get traced. (sighs) Yeah. 
this is also the point where Ant and I can literally just mute ourselves for five minutes because <laughs> Michelle's just going to go, oh, stupid. I don't stupid. understand what is wrong with her. No, no wonder Lauren can't, can't even cope with her. I wouldn't be able to cope with her. I know you're an outlier here, Michelle, because you don't love your family. But if you were on the room for 28 days, what would be the first thing you wouldn't do? It would be calling home. Of course yeah. I wouldn't. After three days. There's someone looking after the children. They're okay. This is annoying that she does it. What's more annoying, though, is but by Series 5, people are still doing it. <laughs> just, just don't. Do not ring your home on day three, for God's sake. And the really annoying thing is they had nothing. They'd done everything perfectly until that point. It's just stupid. So stupid. Oh, my God. Oh, can I also say that at around this point we see Julie for the first time and her hair Yay. is looking quite fantastic this episode. Julie's another one we have a massive soft spot for. I would quite like Julie to be the Series 6 Chief. I said this last time as well. Yes. Even before Charlotte took over. I think Julie would be a very good Chief. We also see Julie's husband here, who I don't think is in it anymore. Toddington. No. Is he, is he in the first two series? I think he's in four. I think he's in the first uh, okay. four. Okay. Oh, I thought he went earlier than that. But yeah, and he's, he's quite good. I quite liked him as well. I think they basically just bring him in for any time there is a boat extraction. Mm. So he's definitely in the first two as a result of that. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember for certain. Something else that we don't usually see anymore is the fact that both Lauren and Emily smoke in this episode. Mm. Yeah. They both have boxes of tobacco and packs of tobacco quite visible during the episode. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, not noticed that. I do wonder whether that's part of the change to it being more of a game show is the fact they can't show smoking on screen. Yeah, probably. That's kind of my instinct on it. Because I don't think we see anyone from Series 2 onwards smoking. Because it becomes an entertainment show rather than a documentary. Yeah. Because it's not like this was before the smoking ban. It wasn't. That was 2007. Ernest would have been, what, minus eight by that point. (laughs) This is is how we measure time now. (laughs) It's It's before Ernest and after Ernest, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) We're now in eight BE. (laughs) After after E. (laughs) So our third pair of fugitives, who we're not going to talk about much, are life partners, Sandra and Elizabeth. Do you recognise them, Ant? Uh, do I recognise them? Do you know what I did? But I couldn't think why. But before we get to that, why do they use the word life partners? And on the whiteboard, it says married. They're married. That's really simple, isn't it? They're a married couple. When was gay marriage legalised? Mm. Uh, before this. I want to say 2014, something like that. Yeah, because I, I don't know. The reason I asked whether whether you recognise them is because they are frequent television participants. They've cropped on pretty much every pairs game show you can think of, including BBC One's absolute failure, Prized Apart. They were the first boots on that as well. Uh. Yeah, I don't know whether it's just that they they were civil partners at the time, as they were on Prized Apart, which was 2015, I think, as well. It says married on the whiteboard. Yeah. On stage. I don't know mm. whether they actually were married at this point. They are now, definitely. But I don't know whether they'd actually converted the civil partnership at that point. Okay. Fair dues. I mean, let's be honest, blink and you'll miss it for the whole of their parts on the show. So 
let's be perfectly honest. We've already talked about Sandra and Elizabeth longer than they are in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) They are essentially Matt and Christina straight away out of this episode. (laughs) Because they have been using local buses to escape capture. They've gone from Folkestone to Brighton using 13 buses. However, they used an ATM in Brighton on day four. And even better, they get on a bus in front of the CCTV camera. Um, Sandra's a piece of work, isn't she? (laughs) (laughs) How are they still casting her in things all back then? How did they cast her again? Like, seriously, she's she's not a nice person, is she? I don't know, because if you think about this, me and Ant have been trying to get on a a game show that requires two people for a while, and these two seem to be stealing all of our spots. Yeah, I think we need to put a hit out on them. They might have actually done the code. I don't know for certain, but something tells me they did the code as well. Don't remember seeing them on that, and I think I watched all of the code. But yeah, I think we should uh, put a phone call into Danny and Nikki. I think so, too. <laughs> I mean, she was so angry. She was so angry. She don't was. touch me. How get dare me. you? How dare you? Sorry, you're in a show. You're going to get caught. They're right behind you. What do you mean, how dare you? Let's be honest. I think I think even six years later, Nick would love to have a go at Sandra. She would love <laughs> to have a second round here. Because <laughs> if there is anything we know about Nick, she loves a scrap with people in these shows. She loves dragging people down and saying, your time in the run is over. Which she didn't say, which was very sad. But but how beautiful is it that they get the first capture? It's mm. just so good. It's starting as they mean to go on. Yeah. I've said this a few times already this episode. We have a soft spot for Nick and Danny. I would actually go so far as to say they're probably our favourite ground hunters. Oh yeah, by a country mile. Absolutely love them. I'm actually trying to think if there's any other ground hunters who've ever been nice to us, and whether I can say that they're our favourites. I think <laughs> Nick and Danny are our favourites. Um, what's the other one? I always get them confused. Is it Steve or is it... Oh, there's two of them. Remember I have this issue with two of the males, male ground hunters? Paul Mark, possibly. Maybe. Neither of whom are in Mark's this series, is... I don't think. No, but I keep seeing Mark on all sorts of random police-related shows. He's, he seems to be the go-to police guy now. He's very prolific on uh, on Instagram, I've noticed, because we obviously follow all of the hunters on uh, on the LTV Warriors account. He's very prolific on Instagram. Yeah. So yeah, Nick and Danny are sent to chase them down on their 21st bus. They are on their way to Mansfield where Nick and Danny spot them at the coach station. Their time in the run's over. That's it. That's literally the entirety of Sandra and Elizabeth's time in the run. And I love that it's poetic that not only do they get the first capture, but also the first F word. Perfect. (laughs) You've got to bear in mind, this did air at nine o'clock, but they very much were skirting around the swear words, at least in the first few minutes. Yeah, for a little while. I've always had this issue with Hunter that if they just bleeped out the swearing, this is primetime TV. There you go. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> so now we move back to Ricky because, you know, he's the actual interesting bit of the episode. And he spent the night in the car in a lay-by in Northampton. Soddington is analysing his laptop and he says that Ricky is good at generating unique passwords, but not good at remembering them because he wrote them all down in his diary. Quick question. What's a lay-by? Here in, here in Australia, a lay-by is when you pay for something and then you keep paying it off in instalments before you actually get the item. So what is a lay-by on a street? Two things. One, when you paused when where you did, I thought it was going to be a very dirty story. And number two... <laughs> <laughs> what? When you pay for something 
in installments. Um, yes. <laughs> it was the good second gap between page or something and, and installments. I went, really? Because a lay-by there would have other connotations as well. A lay-by is kind of at the side of a road. Yeah, it's where you, where you pull in for like emergency phones and stuff like that. God, okay. Be a bit noisy. Mm. It's better than the uh, the, the alternative. Sometimes they're a little bit more strict, so they're like a mini truck stop, so it like takes you off the road. So okay. he, yeah, so like truckers can sleep overnight. So it might have been one of those. And now the first bit that I don't think they would be able to do if it wasn't a documentary in this series. There's two bits in this episode where I go, mm, they definitely wouldn't do that now. Number one is saying what Ricky's search history was. <laughs> yes, for, for no reason whatsoever. Absolutely no reason. Silly. And I remember Dr. Ricky Allen being fuming about this being on television. Yeah. He gets very angry about a lot of stuff. I remember him at the time absolutely raging that they said that his search history included what the average penis size was. <laughs> they didn't need to include that in the episode. They just did it to kind of, let's be honest, clown Ricky a little bit. Yeah, which actually is a little bit out of step with the rest of the episode, isn't it? Because they they big him up the whole way. He's like, he's a hero, you know, he's a clever guy, he's going to be a worthy adversary. And then they throw this in. It just feels like a bit of a cheap shot. I don't really know why they did it. Appropriately, mm. it's actually a bit of a below-the-belt thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So they've also hacked his hotmail and found a trace of the emails he's been sending to a friend with directions. Who uses hotmail, even in 2015? Right, so so I have a couple of issues here. Right, yeah. Firstly, who uses Hotmail? Secondly, who uses Hotmail but accesses it through Outlook web browser? And thirdly, why was the search term Gmail? Wow, it's like what have you got to do? Like other email providers are available on this scene or something? <laughs> it's just really random. And and also, while I'm on the subject of really random, did you see the folders that he's got in his emails? No. No. He has one for appraisals, which has like, I don't know, 83 emails. He has a folder called Big Dummy with three emails in it. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) What is that? Interesting. I can't believe Michael didn't spot this. I was watching this very quickly earlier, all right? I'm a very busy guy right now. (laughs) <laughs> but you know what? You've got Michael's interest peaked. Like, he's going to go and have a look at this. Something else I did notice that they don't do in more modern series is they blurred a lot of the personal information that was on those books. Yeah. We didn't see a single birthday, a for example. There is still, six years later, only, I think, three of the 14 fugitives with ages because of that. Yeah, they, they were really protective about it. It's very odd. Even though Sandra and Elizabeth have been on literally every television program going, people still don't seem to know how old they actually are. (laughs) They're immortal, Michael. So Julie finds out that he also searched the 39 Steps, which is about someone heading to Scotland and hiding away. Could he be doing that? Mm, Could he? (laughs) That's not going to come back. (laughs) Ricky was working in Scotland but fell ill and had to have a surgery of the Lance Armstrong type, a bollockectomy. This is also the first bit where we see that Blex is a little bit worried that Ricky's going to become an adversary. Yeah. Yeah, that might just happen. Yeah, I have a feeling we might be talking about that quote again next episode. (laughs) 
So Emily and Lauren are in Cumbria on day three. It is a weekend, so they're unlikely to find anywhere to stay. And the chief says he has no leads, so sends in his covert unit to find out where her son is staying. This is very Cloak and Dagger. We don't even see their faces. They are sent to break into Emily's house, and they find computers and laptops and receipts for a recent purchase of a phone. They also take dirty clothes to help the sniffer dogs get Emily's scent, and her logons for social media, which is a gold mine. Now, that's just reminding me, you're right, I must have watched this at the time, because I remember the universe going absolutely mental that they sent a covert team into her house. <laughs> the whole of social media, you can't do that! My favourite thing about this entire scene is the fact that they trumpet how covert this operation is and yet have the driver park on the wrong side of the road in the middle of the street under a street lamp. <laughs> it literally could not be any less covert than they did that. My favourite bit in the whole of this scene is when he takes the dirty washing out of the laundry basket, then puts the lid on and rotates it back to where it was. <laughs> So ridiculous. Just silly. As if I'm sorry, I'm a mum. You don't notice what way the thing is turned unless it's specifically got like a marking on it or something. I don't know. It, it was just so deliberately done. It's, they put everything back as it was. Turns bucket. It's just so funny. And the fact they do this in complete pitch black. And if they'd asked for Emily's keys, as they probably would in any other series. She would have just given them over, because the whole point is you hand over all of your personal effects, basically, to the hunters. They did not need to do this anywhere near as, quote-unquote, covert as they actually did. And there isn't anybody in there, is there? No. They jimmy the lock, and then they sneak in there and don't turn on any of the lights or anything. Whereas in later series, they did just rock up in the middle of the day and just talk to the neighbours, just open the door. Yeah, they'd send Nick and Danny in to just analyse everything. <laughs> Bit right. So HQ say they're desperate to catch Ricky, there's been no leads on him since day one, and they correctly guess that he has gone to Scotland. Black says he isn't a psychological profiler, but he has got into the heads of wrong'uns before, and Ricky is being treated as a wrong'un, and does manage to accidentally lose his car window. What did he do? How is that even possible? Because it's an old car. <laughs> no, but I don't understand. Did he have the winder thing and then just keep winding? I think but, so, yeah. But it stops. Like, what the hell? <laughs> he deliberately asked for a car that basically could go straight to the scrappy. You have to bear That's in mind. <laughs> what did he think he was going to do? Like, Because he did say, I don't think he said wheel. Did he say wheelies? What did he say? But um, what does he think he's going to be in a road chase and then crash the car? Uh, yeah, he said he's going he's to put it, um, going to burn it out afterwards, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> The best thing about this is the fact that the next time we see the car, the window is back on, but stuck with masking tape. Not even proper tape. Masking tape. Oh, God. Like, where did they get the tape from? They would have had to stop at a newsagent, get the tape. <laughs> and then Ricky has his confessional about how he picks his battles wisely, but he can't ever remember being defeated. And he's heading back to where he used to work in Glencoe Village. Yeah, it's... <laughs> He's really being set up as, like, this is the uber-fugitive, isn't he, in episode one? He definitely was promoted as kind of being their biggest adversary. Fascinating. So Emily and Lauren are still heading north. Dr. Steve Hersey, assistant to the chief, is analysing Emily's computer and reads out her CV. 
did you pick up everything that Steve read out in this? Because there was a quote I had to go back to to make sure I'd heard him right. The bit about uh, dancing, making thousands a night, and buying horses. Not that bit. It's the next bit after that. It's the bit where she says that she ended up dancing in clubs, but it bought her a sports car, two horses, and a new pair of breasts. Yes, I did pick up Oh, I missed that. (laughs) I never remember him reading out a new pair of breasts. I thought I'd misheard him when I watched this earlier. He 100% said, and a new pair of breasts. Yes, he he 100% did say that. Absolutely. No, I didn't remember that either. That was some special dancing. Yeah. But then we also see Steve kind of getting into the Chief's good books, smiling, as Michelle said, which we do see a fair bit from Steve Hersey. <laughs> well, yeah, but he was just incredibly happy. But actually, Brett's reactions to Steve here are very interesting, and are our banner this week, because it made me laugh a little bit. He's more animated than I remember Brett being. Mm. There's some good facial reactions from him. <laughs> Especially when Steve describes Emily as being a bit emotionally needy. Yeah, and boy, does that come to be (laughs) quite important. (laughs) Park that idea. (laughs) Yeah, let's just hold on to that one. So as part of getting Emily's passport, they also find two emergency contacts, Emily's mum and the father of her son. They suspect that one of them is looking after Ernest, which is a fair bet. It's a very much a no-shit Sherlock moment from someone who isn't Sherlock. It's like, these two people are her emergency contacts. I don't think her 18-month-old son is going to be staying with either of them. <laughs> it's a nailed on, that one, isn't it, really? It's also very telling that we've heard absolutely nothing of Lauren's personal life in this episode. It has all been Emily. Nope. Everything revolves around Emily. Emily just takes over. We don't even see much of Lauren in this episode, I would say. We do. We see Lauren's faces towards Emily. Every time Emily does something stupid, Lauren looks at her with the face. The best we see is Lauren's faces, but stuff like the dialing home scene to find out how Ernest is originally, when she rings him up, Lauren's just gone off to the shop, and Emily takes her opportunity then. She does so much stuff where Lauren is just away. Yeah. Where Lauren isn't the focus. Sandpapering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. You only see Lauren in the context of Emily. Yeah, this entire story of them so far, at least in the first episode, it just revolves around Emily, unsurprisingly, given she seems to be breaking the fugitive rules straight away of, I'm going to ring home, I'm going to make sure that those phone calls are traceable. But simultaneously, I'm going to hide my face from cameras. And she <laughs> knows exactly what the facial recognition cameras look like. And who makes them? She knows that they're yeah. Siemens cameras as well. It's like, that's oddly specific, Emily. But you don't understand how telephony works. Um, the the sandpapering actually reminded me of Race Across the World. Yes, exactly. I thought that exact same thing. We don't really see them do many menial tasks, for want of a better term, anymore. We maybe see them help out friends, or if they're staying in a holiday park, we'll see them maybe wash up or whatever. I think uh, Ben and Rob did that. Yeah. But we really don't see them, for example, Emily manning the phones here and completely ignoring her job, or Lauren sandpapering and completely not ignoring her job because she knows what she's doing. Yeah, but I suppose as the series gets more known, all you have to do is say, I'm on Hunted now, and people get it, don't they? So you wouldn't need to necessarily. So the girls are in Lindale Holiday Park doing odd jobs for accommodation. 
Emily is meant to be manning the phones, but instead she calls Christopher the father of her son. She plans to come and see Ernest, but Christopher tells her not to do it under any circumstances as she is playing into their hands, because Christopher understands this television programme. <laughs> yeah, he understands this show far better than Emily does. <laughs> Oh, she's so annoying. She's so annoying. Oh my God. I must admit, I'd forgotten how much Emily annoys Michelle. I do remember this from 2015 now. <laughs> Get off the phone. Whenever Michelle got the episodes, I did end up getting some messages off her just going, oh, she's so stupid. <laughs> she is. She's pretty much the worst fugitive of all time in this episode. <laughs> She pretty much makes Carlene, who got caught on day one, look competent. Yes. She does. God. Is it going to be like this the whole series? I can't remember. Yeah. But if she's going to be this bad the whole time, I'm just going to be angry every episode. Yeah, I seem to remember Emily does kind of stay about the same for the entire (laughs) series, I'll be honest. God. So intern Simon does get the contact details because they're monitoring Christopher's phone. And David's team is sent to investigate. And then the girls have another argument. Lauren wants to leave immediately after what Emily did. David is just five miles away. Sherlock gives him instructions, but he's interrupted by David, who sees two girls walking down the road. But it is not Emily and Lauren he sees. And and you know what? Having watched five series, even though I couldn't quite remember, the moment is like, oh, there's two girls. I'm like, yeah, so it won't be them then. It's not going to be them. <laughs> Unless you see them in the same frame, they are not there at the same time. No. No way there. <laughs> it's the old Amazing Race rule. Yep. So the girls hitch a lift and manage to just evade the hunters. And the driver asks what their end result is. And Emily says that all her prizes is a sense of achievement. That'll change. <laughs> and that is where we end the episode. Yeah. And you know what? I really enjoyed it. And... For all that was different, there is enough familiarity for me to think, you know what, they were really onto something with this because they haven't had to change it that radically, to be honest. Mm. No, the the starting bit was a little bit slower than we're used to. That's the mm. only kind of slight nitpick I'd have. By the end of the episode, it was very much the hunting we'd know and love. Yeah. It's just it did start a little bit slower than normal. Probably because they had to introduce HQ as well in their, let's be honest, converted shipping container in uh, Tilbury Docks. Like when when Brett said, all right, everybody over here, and I'm thinking, they don't have far to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rectangle. If they all move down one end, the whole thing will just be like, God, they'll be huddled in this group. Doug, <laughs> <laughs> you just walk the six steps over here, please. <laughs> I'm really glad that you two both thought the same thing I did about the HQ because I thought I was going to be fighting a losing battle with this joke. There was no room to, to like swing a cat. You couldn't have even swung a cat. That the width of it wasn't wide enough. I do wonder whether I'm going to run out of comparisons for it by the end of the series, though. <laughs> just when he said, "Just come over here," and I'm going, "No, just stay where you are. You can see everything." There is a slight risk that that a crane could mistake it for uh, for something that needs to go down the Suez Canal and just put it on a ship. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine if they all started lifting up? 
Are we going somewhere? In series two, they don't confirm that it's in London, mainly because it is somewhere off the coast of Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to hope that it doesn't ground itself. If, if they'd have filmed it in Sherlock's Bongo, they would have had more room. <laughs> <laughs> So next time, a new team goes on the run and worries that they will stand out. Ricky thinks the hunters are slack brain fuckwits, and a shopkeeper refuses to let the hunters in. Yeah, dear. More fun and games. Yeah. Next episode, I seem to remember being a really fun one, actually. Yeah, I do too. And the shop thing is just bizarre. <laughs> so have you guys got anything else you want to say about this premiere episode before we return next week? No, but it stands up well. Mm. pleasantly surprised that it stands up well and that we've still got enough gold that we can spin out of this series even though we've talked about this a little bit uh, in future series so thank you for listening to our first hunted recap of the series we'll be back next week for another episode don't forget you can contact us on twitter facebook youtube or instagram where we are rtv warriors or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com Anthony's on Twitter at Bullsboy. Michelle's on Twitter at Bear3. And I am MJ Halfstone. See you next week. But with that, for this week, your time on the run's over. Bye. Bye. It is so good to say your time on the run is over again. <laughs> <laughs> on the positive side, um, I was earning thousands of pounds a night and I bought two horses and a sports car, some nice clothes, and a new pair of breasts.